you would like to be a Patreon supporter of this show, go to patreon.com slash ompodcast. We have a $3, a $5, and a $10 tier. And if you have a business, or if you'd like this to shout out your business or your social media at the beginning of the show, go join that $10 tier and help keep the lights on here at the Open Micros Podcast. And with that being said, on with the show. Thursday night, and you know what that music means. It is time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. No, you're not. Shut up. <laughs> oh. Oh. We have a fantastic guest tonight that I am very, very excited to have on the show. He is the director of the short film Survey that uh, has been winning awards for the last 15 years that it's been in the festival run. <laughs> um, it's he, only been three years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, one of the coolest things about Steve is before we got Batman Begins, there was to be a fifth Batman movie in the original Batman timeline, the uh, the uh, the 1989 Batman timeline. And there was going to be another movie after Batman and Robin called Batman Dark Knight, and Steve is one of the writers of that movie. And if you're interested, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can actually go to Amazon and buy that script to read. But here he is, the great, the powerful, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, Steve Wise. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me here. Dude, I'm so excited to have you here tonight because um, not only are you a, a really good writer, um, a director, but you have taught me more in the past. In the first year that I knew you, you taught me more about writing than all of my college and high school creative writing and journalism teachers ever taught me. And uh, that I can't thank you enough for. And I know you probably get sick of me constantly throwing <laughs> ideas at you and being like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? But... <laughs> you, um, Steve is almost for a lot of the filmmakers around here. You're basically our guru that we go to. <laughs> and how do you feel about being the 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 go to guy for everybody here um, in the filmmaking community I, I, on the? I coast? guess big fish and small pond syndrome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's thank you for for the accolades. Um, I, I look at myself a little. but um let's kind of get started like when did you know that uh what kind of inspired you to be a writer uh did it Uh, was it something uh, that happened as a kid or was it older or like like later and and as an adult or i've been kind of a movie and tv buff literally my entire life um i started making short films with my friends when i was eight years old on super eight and um, just I started writing screenplays and stories when I was very young and just never stopped. So, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get into the um, brand new at the time film program at, at University of Central Florida and um, studied, studied filmmaking there. And uh, so, you know, it was a good, good education. Yeah. So, um, and like I said, you actually got to write a Batman movie, and you've told me this story before uh, when we were on our <laughs> our big road trip to uh, the Tampa Film Festival for uh, for Survey. And uh, so, tell everybody that story. That that's like that blew my mind that you actually were the writer for a Batman movie that was going to be made until, and then explain kind of what happened with that. Well, uh, first off, I have to give uh, equal credit to Lee Shapiro, who's a uh, co-writer on it. Uh, he and I had written several screenplays together and had been spending several years uh, going back and forth. We lived in Orlando at the time. We were driving, uh, flying back and forth to Los Angeles to meet with studios and pitching our scripts, uh, both the ones that we wrote together and our solo ones. And 
Uh, we had had a meeting this back in like 899, um, and we had a meeting with Warner Brothers. And so Lee <laughs> refused to watch Batman and Robin. It had come out you know, a year or two before that. And both of us were huge Batman fans. And I finally forced him to sit down and watch it on VHS. And we had to stop the movie several times because just couldn't believe that we were seeing what was actually on screen. And when it was over, we both looked at each other and said, how did this get made? Hmm. We could come up with something far better than, than that. And so we just kind of uh, started brainstorming and we figured, well, if they were going to do another movie in that series and you know, because the, the Joel Schumacher films still are in the same series as the Tim Burton films, yeah. whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and we, we wanted to go back to kind of that dark fantasy feel from the Tim Burton films. And so we thought, well, the, the villains that would make most sense would be either or Scarecrow or Man Bat. Nobody had done Man Bat live action. Oh, nobody had done Scarecrow live action either. Um, but we thought it would be really interesting to see what could be done with those characters, with Scarecrow being the primary villain and Man Bat being the, what we call a gray character. He, he's not heroic, he's not villainous, but he could go either way. Yeah. And basically tell his story as kind of a Beauty and the Beast type of, type of uh, tale. And um, so anyways, we came up with this, the plot just like almost instantly and you know the interactions with batman and, and robin was a story also <clears throat> and we contacted our um contact over at warner brothers who at the time was greg silverman who later became the president and he put us in touch with the vice president that was in charge of the batman series thomas alley and we pitched it to him and he said, yeah, that sounds great. Write it. Send it to me. I want to see it. And we did. A couple drafts. We sent it to him, and he quit the company. Oh. <laughs> the, the week that we sent it to him, quit. And as is typical with uh, the studios, when one executive leaves, the people who come in generally don't necessarily want to continue what that executive Now, he was only a vice president, but... Um, so we, we spent some time kind of going back and forth with Warner Brothers, and finally it got into the hands of Lorenzo Bonaventura, who was the president at the time. And he told us, yeah, I've got it sitting on my desk, but we don't know what we're going to do with the series. Batman and Robin, even though it technically made money, it was such a disappointment to all the fans and the critics. And, and it, it, I mean, after the opening weekend, it just it plummeted. So nobody really liked that film. They definitely wanted to go in a different direction. They just didn't know what. And, and apparently they had been kind of developing or, or looking at a couple of different prospects. So um, Dark Knight, which <laughs> we we creatively spelled uh, with the K in dark and a knight being the same letter. So it was kind of like one word, the shared letter. Uh, we thought we were being clever. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, and your <laughs> your huge um, super fan Derek Diamond is in the chat room right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Diamond himself. Yes. Um, one of the so, things, I, I think we talked about this before, too. Um, how does that work? Does Warner Brothers actually own your script, or did it revert back, no. the, the rights of the script go um, to you? They own the rights to the characters, mm -hmm. and uh, but they don't own the rights to the words of Okay, so now, I, I can't uh, with, um, sell it to Disney. So yeah. you know, no, no, no other uh, production company. Can but why not re-pitch it to DC as you know to their animation department? Um, uh, we we've picked that around. Just, we just haven't reached that point. Because I mean, if I had somebody on the inside at the DC animation, you know, I could kind of slide in there as a voice actor, you know, on your coattails. Yeah. So, so get on it there, Steve, get on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, Jason, you would make a, a great voice. actor. Yeah. I'd love to be a voice actor. <laughs> a Jason just wants me to tell this. 
Jason just wants you to sell this script so he can beat Batman. That's, That's right. <laughs> I, dude, if I got to play the voice of Batman, I could die a happy man. I'm Batman. <laughs> I got it. I got the voice, man. Actually, actually, I could see you uh, playing Man Bat. I could do that too, dude. I would love to play a live action version of Man Bat. Yeah. Oh, that. I could cool. see that. You are so ugly. <laughs> well, thanks. They would. They would, dude. They would save so much money on CGI by casting you as Man Bat. Well, like, that's why they should hire you as the Penguin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too tall to be the Penguin. I'm just. I would be. Uh, I'd be a good Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, we should go back to, into the well of the uh, the '60s Batman villains and start uh, pulling some of those out, like. Uh, Oh man, like Colonel Gum and uh, Egg. Egghead. Egghead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, King Tut. Oh, King Tut. Yes. That was there. You go. King there you Tut, go, Jason. That was Vincent Price, wasn't it? That played Egg. Well, did he play Egghead? Right, Vincent Price. Egghead, yeah, yeah, he played it. Right. Yeah. Man, I love that show. They should do but, a uh, reboot I'm of a... that. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to see Campy Batman back. Yeah, no and, and just everyone pretends that that's what it's always been. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a I'm a huge Batman fan, and and I'm a bit of a writer too. But I, I've never I, I have no idea how screenwriting works at all. So uh, when you were writing the script for Batman: The Dark Knight, uh, I mean, did you write it with actors in mind, like George Clooney, like, or did you just did you try to write it true to the characters from the comic books? How, how did that we were, we were trying to write true to the characters. Um, now, that said, we kind of assumed that George Clooney would probably continue in the role, but, you know, we had no idea because uh, he was the third actor in four movies. So mm-hmm. with them going back, or with if they progressed with, with our story, um, they would be kind of reverting back to a dark you know, tone, so who knows if they, you know, it would all depend on the director and what um, contracts were in place. So, you know, that's kind of out of the hands of the writer. But, yeah, I mean, like for for Kurt Langstrom, Mambat, uh, we had a couple actors in mind um, that we saw see playing that character. Uh, one was Kiefer Sutherland, and mm. another was Kevin Bacon. Mm. So, mm. you know, we had, you know, we're thinking, okay, those those guys might be appropriate for this yeah, Kevin Bacon, man, I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah, um, I heard I heard a rumor, and I I heard this before I even knew that you wrote this script, and that I had a connection to you before Jason. That uh, it was rumored that Nicolas Cage was interested in perhaps going to play the Scarecrow in that film. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, I mean, there's a lot of rumors that came came around. Uh, we never got that far with uh, Warner Brothers to um, you know, to discuss casting, and quite frankly, they don't discuss uh, casting with the writers. Anyways, it's just uh, here, was, here's um, your money, and they'll uh, hire someone else to come in and rewrite. The when was that Superman movie that he was supposed to be in? When, wasn't that around like '98 or so? That was early 2000s, I think. If I'm not mistaken. I thought that uh, that was supposed to be like a companion with Michael Keaton's Batman. Or am I mistaken on that? Keaton was 89, 92. Well, Tim Burton was going to direct that Superman movie. Tim Burton was in pre-production. He was in development development on it for a good year. And so the story goes that I heard uh, he and his team went to Philadelphia, I think it was, to scout out locations. While they were on location scouting, Warner Brothers closed their offices. Oh. And so they came back home or back to LA to find out that their production office That so sucks. That's how they found out that the movie got canceled. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers uh, let me just say it's an, it was an interesting uh, uh, time dealing with them. I have a question for you, Steve. What do you? What is your take on uh, Warner Brothers giving Zack Snyder another seventy million dollars to do reshoots for Justice League? Um, I think that they're 
looking to. Yeah, and Rampage says Superman to... Lives was in 1998, so that's okay. when that was going to be. Um. Yeah. Um. I. I don't know. It just to some degree. Warner Brothers. Uh, I mean, what is some their, of their decisions are questionable. What is um, their end goal with that? I mean, are they really going to make that money back off of? I mean, they're. It's like they're riding the whole uh, HBO Max. Is it HBO Max or whatever? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. They're putting on their streaming service, so they're looking for content that they can, excuse me, that they can sell and high profile content. But it so, just seems like they're riding everything on that, and I, I just don't. Yeah. I don't really get it. Is there that much interest that you know you would dump another seventy million dollars? I mean, that movie already cost like three hundred and fifty million dollars right. to make. But but you got to figure that they've already, you know, or whatever the profit or loss was on, on the movie. And of course, in Hollywood, every movie makes a loss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I I have a feeling that despite the lukewarm reception it had. It still made its money back in the long term, as far as uh, you know. In reality, whether it shows it on paper or not. Um, yeah. So this is a a seventy million dollar investment into a. I'm not sure how they're releasing in two parts or four parts or whatever, but basically a mini series that will get eyeballs on it. People yeah. will watch it just out of curiosity. People who hated the theatrical release may watch it just to see what the difference is. Yeah. And see if, if there's improvement. It's the same reason why people bought the um, extended version of Batman versus Superman on, on Blu-ray. It's like, oh, this is a, a newer version. Maybe it's better. And there's money in Warner Brothers. Because I'll so, make a confession right now, and this might get my nerd card <clears throat> revoked from me, but I still haven't seen Justice League. And I'll be honest. I haven't I seen didn't. it either. And I have it on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. gave it to me for Christmas uh, <laughs> a year ago, and it's, it's on the shelf. I just don't care. I, uh, I, I saw it in theaters uh, opening weekend, and it is, it's not as bad as everyone like makes it out to be. Like, it's not bad to warrant a, you know, Snyder cut. It's, it's just <clears throat> a mediocre movie. I just don't like the, the, I don't like that world that Zack Snyder built for those characters. Yeah. Uh, it's too. It, it, there was no. I hate to. Use, I hate to. I mean, this is such a cliche thing to say, but there was no joy in it. There was right. no heart. There. It just felt. It, it. It just felt like it was a movie made by like, and I. I'll say this about Zack Snyder. Till the day I die, that he's a great visual director, but he is not a good storyteller. If you give him a great script, if you have a good writer and you give him a good script, he will make a badass movie. Look at 300. 300 was great. I even like um, uh, The Watchmen. I think The Watchmen is a great movie. But like you, you give him the keys to the kingdom... And you look at, uh, especially like Batman versus Superman, God, that was like eight movies jammed into one. And it's like, just dude, just pick one thing and go with the one thing. It just felt like that was. Well, that was the problem with the series. Like it's they did Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and Justice League to compete with Marvel. Yeah. Like. That's that's the only reason they're not slow burning their way through the universe. Well, they're they like, didn't... oh, we need team up movies right now. Yeah, they didn't earn it like Marvel did. They they exactly, and that's the stupid thing about it is you know Marvel, all their character they sold all their characters off back in the nineties when they were <laughs> about to go bankrupt. That's why they don't own Spider Man, and you know they didn't have the X Men, and but the thing is with Warner Brothers, they had all those characters that they could have been making movies with for 40 years now that they could have been making, you know, they could have made, you know, a uh, uh, Christopher Reeve and, and Tim Burton, uh Batman movie, you know, like they, they could, they could have been doing that for the last 40 years, but they just, they have squandered every opportunity 
with the live action movies, with the exception of Christopher Nolan. Now, those were great movies. Those were great Batman movies. Yeah. The third one was a bit of a misstep, but, the, you know, he kind of, you know, the de- I think the death of Heath Ledger kind of painted him into a corner with that one. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, they've had so many opportunities to make a Justice League, you know, build that universe, and I just don't understand why they never did. Well, um, one of the uh, things that uh, went went on after uh, they turned down my Batman script, they went through a series of movies that went nowhere, and one of them was Justice League. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Justice they League had. I want to. I want to say they had Wolfgang Peterson on board that one. Wasn't yeah. George Miller supposed to do one at one point? Um, you know what? Maybe that was George Miller's uh, and. King Peterson was supposed to do a Batman versus Superman movie. So yeah. that, and that was another one that was on the radar. They also had a live action Batman Beyond. Jose Aiken, I said his name right, who directed mm-hmm. Remember the Titans. He yeah. was attached to that. And, you know, and of course, uh, they had Frank Miller and Darren Aronofsky just, um, had turned in a script for Batman Year One. Uh, it would, in fact, my script was turned down for. Miller and Aronofsky's year one, and after that was that script was turned into Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers fired them. So <laughs> they hated the script so much. And, so uh, I mean, Rampage it, is right. Did they, you did you ever Warner see Brothers the... basically it was like okay, let's let's try this, let's try this, and just throwing stuff at the mm-hmm. wall without really having a full understanding of what the material is, and why it works. Yeah, well, Rampage said the animated Batman Dark Knight Returns was much better. And that's the thing with DC is they, they've they been killing it on the animated front. Those animated yeah. movies oh, yeah, are great. Definitely. Why can't they Why why can't they do that live action? They should have made Dark Knight Returns, you know, 20 years ago. And you know who would have been absolutely perfect in that role? Brian Dennehy. Hmm. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen an old, broken-down Batman played by Brian Dennehy. I don't know why. I've just all because the art makes me think of Brian Dennehy. When I read those comics, like he looks uh, like Brian Dennehy to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would think about Tommy Boy the whole time, though. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but enough about the DC universe. We're not here to talk about that. Steve, tell us about Servi. Uh, well, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a short film. Uh, <laughs> I wrote and directed and produced it. And, uh, Jason, you were one of the actors. In yes. It, I was the, I was the main villain. my voice. It's been kind of cracking. So uh, if I lose it halfway through, uh, uh, apologize in advance. Um, yeah, it was, it's kind of a, um, fantasy act- action adventure type of thing and it's, i mean it's a short film it's 12 minutes long but it was something that um i took a chance on because i had never done fight scenes director before and i wanted to do something more action oriented normally you know things that i've done and um we, we shot it and threw it into film festivals and it's been Going and going and going. How many film <laughs> the last festivals? Three years it's been because uh, I stopped everywhere over, around the world and winning awards. So. I stopped counting at fifty. How many has it been in at this point? Um, I want to say fifty-four. Okay. And <laughs> they count four more, Jason. Really? <laughs> I I just I well, stopped. It was like it's just going to keep going. It, it's it just hasn't stopped. Well, the funny thing is, um, you know, I have a, a running list all the festival awards and I had to go back and update it uh, the other day because I, I had stopped and I realized that I was really far behind <laughs> and I just, I had no, no idea how many exactly. We done. So um, it was uh, something that I just, I need to keep up with. But, uh, it's actually going to be playing at the Fort Myers film festival, in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, the week, Prior to um, Halloween. Oh, awesome. Uh, I think it's uh, that Thursday it's scheduled for. The, the, the film festival is a multi day event leading up to that weekend. 
it was supposed to be in April, I think it was, but COVID caused them to postpone yeah. it, and they were able to reschedule for that weekend. I constantly get people asking where they can see it, and I keep having to tell them that it's still in its festival run. So, yeah. um, what does the timetable look like where where people will be able to actually see it? Well, you know, it it just uh, participated in um, not too long ago in two different festivals that were online. One was the Brooklyn Sci Fi Film Festival, and um, people at that time. It, Few weeks ago now, um, could have logged in and, and watched it because they had well over, I think, like a hundred short films that uh, science fiction, fantasy films that uh, uh, they had on their uh, lineup. Serving was one of them. Yeah, that's awesome. But, but as far as uh, timetable, um, I'm hoping um, soon. <laughs> we can we can put it out there for uh, um, put on Amazon or something. He said that about two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but so this is we're we're going into to Halloween now. We're we're in we're in horror month right now. The next the next four weeks we've booked guests or we have topics that are about horror and Halloween. And Steve, you have a script in or a screenplay in the run right now yeah. uh, in the horror category. Do you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, the, the script the script is called Maelstrom, and it, it's an old-fashioned monster movie. Um, I, I have a, uh, a love of anything that is set on an island and where people are trapped on the island and you know, there's a killer or you know some, some monster or otherworldly uh, creation that's killing them off one by one. Kind of gets back to my uh, love of Agatha Christie books, actually, novel, and then there were none. Uh, or Indians is another uh, variation of the title. Um, but in that in that book, you had ten people that were strangers brought to an island for unknown reasons, and then they were killed off one by one until he's left. And uh, um, I always love that. You know, even going to like Jurassic Park and um, there was a movie that was made like in the early 60s, and I always forget the name of it, but about a group of people that were stranded on this island with this bad scientist, and oh, yeah, they can't yeah. go into the water because it's filled with this uh, silvery substance that, I think it's called the Flesh Eaters. Yeah, and you it, sent me the link for that not flesh. too long ago. <laughs> I, I think I did, yeah. And, and I always forget, but I think it's called the Flesh Eaters. So that's kind of, you know, one of those things that I just, I'm drawn to that kind of story. So in, in Maelstrom, it's kind of a wealthy family and their employees who have gathered for a family reunion on this island they own. It has a mansion on it. And a tropical storm is hitting, so they have to you know, kind of bear through that. But one of the family members has been, the last six months, in South America, in the jungle, in the Amazon, with his girlfriend, who's an anthropologist, and they're studying the indigenous um, tribes that exist in the Amazon, and he's a photographer. Well, he gets a little close to some creature, something, some animal hmm. that they pull out of the jungle, and he gets injured. Well, unbeknownst to him, he's been infected by this um, parasite, if you will. And after he goes back to his family and they're on this island, um, he turns into a and that then proceeds to and other people that are on the island. And so uh, the survivors have to fight their way through these unknown being, unknown things uh, while the storm rages on. Of course, trapped on Amazon. Well, I got to read the script uh, a while back and I fell in love with it. And I don't, I don't, you know, it's, um, it's been winning a ton of awards at, at all the uh, screenwriting festivals and things like that so i'm hoping you well, get it, it you get it made one of these days and <laughs> it's made uh semi-finalists in oh, yeah, three yeah. festivals so, so uh just to clarify uh the orlando film festival is coming up here later in the month it's a semi-finalist for that um and i'll know whether it won or not you know by the uh, orlando film festival which i won that festival last year with my screenplay paradigm so you know, two years running, and that's a good there. script too. I've read that one too. 
Thank you. Um, it's also actually um, going on, on Halloween, it's going to be in two different festivals where it's the uh, it's an official selection. One, uh, the South, I'm sorry, the Southern Horror Film Festival in Atlanta, and it's also participating in Horror House Film Festival in Los Angeles. So uh, I've actually got two projects and three festivals in three states on Halloween. That's <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Happy Halloween to you, Steve. Yeah, Steve. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, with the attention that, that Maelstrom is getting, uh, that you'll get to make it soon and you'll get to, uh, you know, make it and throw your boy a bone here and let me uh, play yeah. a, <laughs> Well, play another first character. things first, I, I'm, I'm actually working on Paris. Yes. Which, which won uh, three awards um, over the last year. And uh, we're, I've got a producer, actually two producers lined up uh, right now that are helping develop this and we're looking for money. So that's going to be hard to do <laughs> while the uh, pandemic's going on because I was actually involved with yeah. a few projects, um, a, a really big project, one that I actually went to New Orleans and did a. a a sizzle reel for, and um, soon as COVID hit, man, dude, wallet started slamming shut, and so a lot yeah. of projects got put on the back burner and just waiting for the this whole thing to pass because nobody wants right. to spend well, money when they're you know when when there's a disease flying through exactly. the air. Well, one of the pro- problems too, even though production is starting to happen, is that you have to follow very strict um, procedures with COVID um, safety. And even to the point to where they're classifying the cast and crew in, in different tiers. And so tier one would be like the, the director and the producer and the main cast. And they can eat together and they can coexist together. But if they're around anybody who's in a tier two, which would be like the, you know, the next level crew members, um, they have to be, you know, wear masks and social distancing. Hmm. And then there's a tier three, which are the PAs and yeah. you know the the background performers and whatnot, and they're kind of off on their own. So people have to wear badges that clearly identify which tier they belong to, and it's uh, you know very stratified. I mean, already being on a film uh, set, it, it, there's a very strict hierarchy, and now yeah. it's like segregating. It's even more almost like a caste system. Yeah, and, uh, that's um, weird. I, I hope that goes away. Yeah. Once COVID's over with. It will. I think, I mean, eventually, whether it will be in a month or two years from now, um, <laughs> things will return to some sense of normalcy. God, and, I hope so. uh, Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it has to. I mean, because people, people tolerate things for only so long and then they, uh, they get tired of it. Whether yeah. or not it's a smart thing to do, they kind of fall back into your old habits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we go this evening, one thing I did wanted to ask you, Steve, I know, I know you like, you are a movie lover. You, you love film and, uh, you know, we've talked for hours on the subject and, uh, what, and since we're in Halloween, what would you suggest? Like, what would be your, your absolute, probably, you know, favorite horror movie to, to get in the Halloween spirit? Mm. Uh, other than Halloween. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with the original John Carpenter Halloween. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would stick within the um, John Carpenter universe, if you will. Um, with, so, the fog. With is, that being said, this is going to uh, prove whether or not me and you are friends. <laughs> what do you think about Halloween 3? Oh, um, I was actually going to throw that throw that out there. Um, it's very under and thank it, it you is is a misnomer <laughs> because it has nothing to do with the series other than being produced by John Carpenter and being set at Halloween. So if people going into it expect it to be a Michael Myers story, yes. and it it has nothing to do with it, it exists in a different universe. Um, but it is a creepy film. It I mean, it's just it's it's a pretty. In fact, uh, Tom Akins who. Um, leads in it or star of it is going to be at Pensacola this year. I know. I can't wait to meet him. I'm actually going to bring my VHS copy of Halloween 3 and have him sign it for nice. me. Um, I need uh, to get how, 
Halloween three has a, a place in my heart for that. And I think the reason that I I actually like I actually honestly I actually like it's my favorite Halloween movie. Don't get me wrong, I love Halloween one. Don't get me wrong, it's it's one of the greatest slasher. I mean, it set set up the entire genre. Um, right. When it comes to Halloween three, there was just something so creepy and weird and different about it. And I think the reason I like it better is because I did see it first before I saw the first two Halloween movies. I actually saw it. Um, I was a kid back in the eighties when when Fox first became a uh, a, a network. They would. You know, the first year or two, they would play movies and not cut anything out. Like, you would <laughs> turn on Fox and there would be, be cursing and there'd be boobs. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> but I remember they used to have this thing on Sunday nights called Crown Dodge Chrysler Theater. And they it, it was sponsored by a local, you know, Dodge dealership. And they would play, like, horror and sci-fi movies. And one of the ones that I saw was Halloween 3. And since the first time I saw that movie, I've been in love with it. And it's still one of my favorite. And I, I guess you would classify it as a horror movie, but it's more sci-fi horror than anything. But um, it's, it's horror because it's definitely, you know, there's him and- yeah, yeah, I mean, there's well, horror elements, but it's more really like a, like it's a, a thriller. Yeah, thriller more than anything. Um, and Jacob, have you ever seen Halloween three? No, oh, God damn it, my son, I will teach yeah. you the ways of Halloween three. <laughs> I have this, I have this giant list of movies that Jason has told me I have to see. That's on the list. <clears throat> See me and Steve. I yeah. think me and Steve are on the on the same page when it comes to uh, John Carpenter. And yeah. honestly, John Carpenter yeah. is my favorite director. I love John Carpenter. I'll watch any movie he makes. And you know, he didn't direct Halloween Three. He only produced it. But there's some he his his style is all over that movie though. Because when you have John Carpenter movies, there's a, a certain tone to them and a, a certain feel. And that's what I really love most about his movies. And he's a do it yourself guy too. I mean, he does all of his right. sound own soundtracks. He's a musician, you know, he, he, dire- he directs, he, you know, he writes, he, he edits and he's just kind of the all around, you know, kind of director I would love to be. Yeah. He, he kind of, um, Later in his career, his movies aren't that great. Yeah, um, but he had a string of films, probably about six or seven, that are just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, you know, especially. Have you guys ever seen a? No, you go ahead. I was I was fixing the troll. No, I was go, gonna you say go you know Halloween one. Um, they live Big Trouble in Little China. Um, uh, Prince of Escape Darkness. From New York. Escape from New or... York. Yeah, falls on precinct thirteen. In the mouth of madness is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, like, I love that movie. But Starman. Yeah, Starman. You know, talking great. about something completely different. Oh yeah, Starman is hugely underrated as a, mm-hmm. a sci-fi movie. And Jacob, that's another one. Add to the, add that to the list. Starman. No, I, I, I've seen Starman. Okay, good. I've seen Starman. <laughs> I'm sorry, I felt like I interrupted somebody there. What were we saying? Oh. I was going to ask, have you guys ever seen uh, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood? Yes, I have. You yeah. know, um, I actually refused to watch that, and I just, I stopped. <laughs> no, that's, I that's actually the like Part one, 6. Man. Part 6 I actually enjoyed because it was more of a comedy. Kind of yeah. a satire of, of well, and it was like, once you're satirizing yourself, it's done. Yeah. And you know, and set part seven introduced like, you know, um, sci-fi elements with superpowers and like. Yeah. So, <laughs> was part seven the one where he he bashed the the lady up against the tree in the uh, the yeah <laughs> in the yeah. That's why it's my favorite. I laughed so hard. Cause just see that you pick up a sleeping bag and bash the lady's head against the tree. <laughs> That's the thing. My aunt took me to see that. And I think it came out in what, like 1987, 88. 
I was like 11 years old, way too young to be watching that movie in the theater. And I was like loving it. I was like, holy crap, I should not be watching this, but this is great. That's my favorite movie, man. Jason, do you remember my bit? I used to do that, had that yeah. movie in it. I, t- I talked about picking someone up in a sleeping bag and yeah. their head against And then the you'd scream at the audience because nobody knew which movie you were talking about. Yeah, I scream at the audience a lot. But uh, we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, Steve, man, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. This is... Thank you for having me. It's fun. I I could talk shop with you all day long. You know that. (laughs) And we have. (laughs) We we spent... We went when we went to the Tampa Film Festival. We spent you know twelve hours in a car together, and all we did was just talk movies and uh, Avatar and and everything. We talked about everything under the sun, and uh, I you know I I love having someone that I can bounce ideas off of. And like I said, you and if it, actually before we go, if you could give anybody one piece of advice that wants to start writing. As far as um, like scripts, like movie scripts, what kind of advice would you give like uh, somebody that's n- never done it but is like, you know what, I want to write a script? Well, just a very, very basic level, um, learn the formatting uh, because writing prose is very different than writing a screenplay. Uh, there are a lot of uh, screenwriting programs out there that you choose from, some that you, know, you pay a lot of money for, some that are subscription. Some free ones you can find, some of them are kind of sketchy. Um, but, you know, it'll put it into proper format for you. But the understanding of why you have a scene header, why you know, the dialogue is, is written a certain way, and, and just understanding the process of, you know, narrowing it down to only what you see and hear on screen. That's and, been the one you know, thing what, that... What can be on, on the page... Yes. Is only what can be on the screen, and that's the and one thing that I. The biggest thing I learned from you was you would read my stuff and be like, "If you can't see it, don't write it." And that's that's been the biggest challenge for me is because I I want to write. Well, this person knows this or thinks this, and you're like, you can't put that in a script. Yeah, how's the audience going to know that? Exactly. Yeah. Actually, dramatize. So, um, that's the biggest challenge for people that are brand new writers is understanding you know what the process is and why things are on the page the way they are and another thing you told me too is reading scripts mm-hmm. is a good way to learn how to write scripts and yeah. what would you suggest because you can get scripts online you know all day yeah. the now it's not like it was you know when <clears throat> when i was in high school wanting to be a, a filmmaker and there was nowhere to get scripts unless you went to like a comic book show or something and somebody was selling them. But nowadays it's like, if I'd have had the internet in the nineties, I would be way further than I am now. (laughs) But, um, but what would you suggest would be the one, a perfect script for somebody to, to read, to get to know (sighs) how to structure a good script? Well, that's hard to say because you know, you have, People who, uh, you know, professional screenwriters, obviously, um, Quentin Tarantino and Shane Black, you know, come to mind that kind of break the rules yeah. and they do whatever they want to do because they can get away with that. And Shane Black, primarily with Lethal Weapon, um, he kind of threw out a lot of the conventions that had been standard at that point and, you know, directly speaking to the reader. And which you know never been done before in screenplays that it's like hey look at this kind of thing you know um, and it made it fun to read whether or not it showed up on the screen you, you got the tone of the and a lot of people try to emulate that without understanding why he was breaking the rules and what he was doing exactly with it um, so you, you kind of have to be careful and there's also a lot of um, scripts out there that are the final shooting script where it might have director's notes in it, and it might have scene numbers and things like that to where you know, this has gone through a process and you know, this is what they're actually using on, um, on the set as opposed to script that was written that was sold to the studio. Yeah. Uh, so they, they just kind of have to be careful that and have an understanding that you know, if you're a first-time writer or a newbie writer or whatever you want to classify yourself, um, that's not necessarily how you. 
Well, it would probably be a good idea to actually read um, if you could get two different versions of a script, like a, a final, uh, you know, final draft, and then the shooting script to find out yeah. to, to see the differences that there are between you know the final uh, draft and then the actual shooting script. Well, you know, talking about Batman, um, there were um, a number of different versions of the script that was floating around out there um, that before Tim Burton finally said, yes, this is, this is what I'm shooting. And there's one that a previous draft that Sam Hamm wrote that, that kind of took some of the elements and made into uh, the 89 Batman. Though there are, there's at least three or four of those that are out there that you can read. And that's a really good, um, just kind of an exercise to look at what the process was that they went through from different writers see okay well this writer had this idea this writer had another idea knowing what the final product was kind of see what the evolution was you know sometimes it's just yeah it just didn't work or sometimes it's too expensive or Mm -hmm. you know not what the director was wanting to do with it or what producers were wanting to do with it um or it could just be that it was just not good (laughs) yeah because you can definitely tell sometimes that you go i've gone down rabbit holes too of what was in the original script and what became, you know, what was actually shot. And you find out like, well, you know, like this just, you know, this story element just doesn't work or, you know, they, they had to go and do a reshoot because something just didn't make sense. Or, you know, right. there's a lot of YouTube videos too about, about stuff like that. And um, well, I was like, um, there's a um, early draft of Jaws uh, by uh, Peter Benchley before Carl Gottlieb came on board and it's very very different than the final movie. yeah and just how they introduced uh, uh chief brody's character it's like has posted notes in the shower you know just a lot of the charm is missing from that draft and i also had read a uh, early draft of back to the future and it still had it was before the the clock tower, the lightning bolt, mm-hmm. and they were using a nuclear blast to send the car back from the past. So they had to go to like the the nuclear testing sites in the desert <laughs> and be there when the bomb went off, and that projected you know the, the DeLorean back into the future. And but the the thing about that script that really annoyed me was all the product placement was written into the script. Yeah, I don't. So like that. it was at, at the stage where they had already been selling. Um, product placement to advertise as a sponsor. And so they had it in bold, you know, Texaco and Pizza Hut and whatever that was in the <laughs> script. Like, oh. I remember you telling uh, me that um, at one point during the, well, the one of those early Back to the Future scripts that he went back in time using a, uh, uh, a refrigerator or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was before they, they had the idea of the Florian. And then that, yeah. that that idea ended up being in the Crystal Indiana Skull. Jones. Ugh. <laughs> Sometimes bad ideas won't die. <laughs> Dude, I learned that today, actually. Uh, this morning, I, I read that somewhere. That's so weird. Ironic. That, that, yeah, that we could have had nuking the fridge 30 years earlier. <laughs> no. <laughs> Imagine if that would have happened, Back to the Future would not be... The great movie that it is now. <laughs> no. There's no way. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, um, Steve, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we definitely want to have you on again. I'd love to do another another roundtable. Get actually get you and Derek on the on the show so we can just talk about making movies and script writing and you know uh, all the trials and tribulations of being filmmakers and, and trying to get your movie, like how to get your movie into film festivals. I think that would be something people would love to hear about because there's a lot of people I know that ask me like, how do I, you know, how do I do this? How do I make a movie? Like I didn't know how to do it either. When I first uh, went to make monsters anonymous, I had to learn on the fly. And then you came along. I met you after we made that movie and, you know, you you helped me out with a lot of stuff the the past few years, and I, and you're such a wealth of knowledge that I think that you know that would be we could get some good content out of just you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you. 
But uh, but I'm not sure if I could live up to that. But, yeah. <laughs> but tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, well, you can go to my website, stephenjwise.com. It's Stephen with a ph. Uh, S t e p h, not ph. And I will put that. <laughs> I will put that link in the show notes um, too. So that's probably the best uh, place to go to. I also have a. Uh, a Facebook page, which I believe is Stephen Wise Filmmaker. It, uh, it don't, you know, Facebook slash, you know, <laughs> but uh, uh, so like my page if you can find it. And you were thinking about doing a Patreon page for your writing too, weren't you? I've been knocking around that idea. I haven't uh, launched it yet. Um, I, you know, I have a short story that I just uh, I'm I'm putting the finishing touches on called The Melting Man, and um, so I'm I'm really looking at trying to get some more writing done. So I am considering um, doing a Patreon page for anybody who if you trust in reading what I've written. Well, as soon as but, you uh, get that done, as soon as you launch it, let me know, and I will uh, I will advertise it on our, our um, social media here for the show. Thanks. And yeah. you can, and as you said before, you can find uh, Batman uh, on it, as well as a uh, book of short stories I wrote called uh, Portals of the Mind. And you can find all that stuff on your website too, right? Links to all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, okay, all the links yeah. are there. Yeah, I'm just, I'll put that link right in the show notes so everybody can just click on that link and go go check out Batman Dark Knight and uh, put some change in, in Steve's pockets. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a, um, uh, a payment from Amazon a couple days ago for $6 and nice. 30 cents. Like, <laughs> hey, that's, <laughs> that's right. what I, that's what I've made. That's about what I've made on monsters anonymous so far being on Amazon <laughs> prime. <laughs> but, that's uh, about what I've made doing comedy. Yeah. For, for <laughs> so what about you, Jacob, anything you want to uh, plug before we go tonight? Yes, uh, we are going to be very uh, light on sponsors this month. So please, if you like this format of us not having sponsors, support us on Patreon so we can afford to not have sponsors. So go to Patreon, and that is at OMPodcast on Patreon.com. And for all the locals out there, I host an open mic every Monday at District on the Alley in Gulfport, Mississippi. It is a blue comedy open mic, so please bring your big boy pants and we have a lot of fun when I do that. Fantastic. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at openmikers and we're on Facebook at openmikerspodcast. Go follow Steve uh, on Twitter as well. It's at Stephen J. Wise with a PH. And um, yeah, that's about it. So say goodnight, fellas. Get nothing, fellas.